Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Greg Adams. He's a gentleman I met working a job uh, that, you know, it's funny, we wouldn't have met otherwise, I don't think. And I think that is one of the gifts of sobriety that I have found is getting to meet new people, getting to know new people, getting to talk to other people that I never would have mixed with before. He is a baseball coach, among many other things, and father, and he was nice enough to sit down and discuss the time playing baseball. We talk about fitness, we talk about exercise, we talk about drinking, we talk about sobriety, loss, coming out on the other end of it, asking for help, and it was really an amazing conversation. I can't thank Greg enough for sharing his story and I hope that you enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Greg Adams. And let's see, if I wouldn't, I don't know how young young is, but I would say it started in high school. I would say around, you know, my freshman year. I remember um, going to parties and and drinking. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, too often as I remember, but I do remember enjoying alcohol. I remember it... Uh, taking a nice edge off and you know I, re- I remember liking um, how it affected me yeah that instance Ooh, yeah I don't feel you know I think a lot of people say this and I I, I would have to agree is that I don't feel like myself anymore I feel mm-hmm. I feel different and it's that almost instantaneous like yeah. rush you know um, no question did you did you um, did it become immediate that this was something you you wanted to do or had to do? Were you was it a, a compulsion or? You know, I don't know how immediate it was. You know, to that feeling, but I do remember the the crowd that I hung out with, the the people that um, I went to dances with and parties with. It was very common. It was something that was. We were trying to get alcohol. We wanted to get it. If there was, you know, a school dance coming up on Friday, it was like, you know, it was being planned. And I don't remember needing it Mm -hmm. to attend the function or, you know, but I remember wanting it. I I remember thinking, you know, that would be, that that would help out. It was fun. Yeah, exactly. There's definitely, you know, I, I talk a lot about, you know, the problems and the and the damage that alcohol causes has ca- caused in my life and other people's lives, and you know I don't ever want to gloss over the fact that there was a point where it was fun, and yeah. you know um, that it wasn't we weren't necessarily hurting anybody we were just excited to have a good time and try something different right? No question about that at all. And in fact, I um I give alcohol a lot of credit. I really do. I I enjoyed um, drinking recreationally. I enjoyed a lot of the the stuff that alcohol provided, take you know re- relaxation and um, fun, as you said. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I give it a lot of credit for a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and were you um, 
But you grew up here in the Sonoma area? I grew up in Concord, so in Contra Costa County in the East Bay. In the East Bay, okay, okay, so Bay Area. Bay Area. And um, was it something that you, that went into adulthood? Did you ever, did you ever find it in, as an athlete, right? You mm -hmm. were, even as a young man, you were an athlete, right? Yes. Did you find it that it affected you or um, was it adversely when you were training or playing or? No, I actually uh, had very good discipline in the sense that uh, I don't feel like it ever affected me. Mm -hmm. I never, you know, drank night before games or, um, you know, later in the week if there was games coming up. I, um, I can't say that I did my best training. I mean, obviously I missed some training probably, like not if I had it scheduled. Right. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I had it scheduled, I wouldn't be out drinking the night before if I was getting up in the morning to do something. But um, if I didn't, I probably took the day off, you know. I don't sure. remember drinking, you know, super excess when when I was younger. And in college, um, not to jump ahead so much, oh, but in fine. college, it was, you know, we played games. I played baseball here at Sonoma State, and it was games on Friday a game on Friday and two games on Saturday. And we would get together on Saturday evening and barbecue and, you know, drink beers and, and have a good time. What position did you play? When I got to Sonoma State, I played a little bit of second base and a little bit of uh, designated hitter. So I was okay. in the lineup all the time. I played all the time. Okay. I was very fortunate that I was, you know, decent enough to play all the time and contribute. Well, you, you've got to be, you've got to be good. I mean, baseball is not an easy sport. I mean, it's a very small ball. I've only, yeah. I've only ever played catch <laughs> and like when it's coming at your head. It's I mean, not that's... a lot of fun to a lot of people because yeah, it's, it's a, it's a difficult sport. And on top of it, you know, that's uh, there is a lot of, um, I guess drugs, if you want to say, in the sport like baseball that people use, you know. Like steroids and stuff? No, well, no. just, you know, stuff to numb the pain because baseball is such a negative sport. If you're a good hitter in baseball, you know, you get out seven out of ten times. You hit 300, you're, you're really good. So there's a lot of failure to contend with in baseball and you know it's not saying that you have to use alcohol or anything it's not something that I had to use on mm -hmm. a daily basis to you know to get through but it is a negative sport you know what right. I mean it's it's uh, most teams you know win because the other team makes more mistakes it's usually you know so I, I, I imagine there's some metaphor for life somewhere in there about <laughs> you know the seven out of ten failures and you're you're great you're you're at the top of your game if yeah. you fail seven out of ten times. I guess you get used to, to failing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but no, I, I've only ever really played catch. I think there was a few softball games that, you know, there was lots of drinking involved. And so yeah. nobody was ever concerned about um, making, you know, scoring any points or anything like that. Um, but, uh, and so in college, did you, did the, did the alcohol increase or decrease? I mean, you were pretty... I'm going to say the alcohol increase. I was away from home. I had nobody, you know, I didn't really have responsibility to get, you know, how do I want to say it's, it definitely increased, but I don't remember it being something that was on my mind. What was right. on my mind was, was playing baseball. Was baseball. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I never, I never jeopardized games or, you know, practices due to, due to yeah. alcohol. Um, so... 
when did you see the alcohol consumption increase in your life? Because you're not that old. I'm 50. I, mean, I just turned 50. I would not have guessed it. You, yeah. you. Thank you, you look, very much. I you appreciate fantastic. that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was, you know, because I I'm gonna be 43, and I was like, well, he's probably around my age. Yeah. Um, I so, just okay. turned 50. Yeah. Well then, um, so in college, and you finish college. What point, like, where does life take you after that? You, do you play baseball? So I started um, coaching baseball. Coaching? I finished my degree. Um, yeah, so I was coaching baseball here, working some odd jobs. I always wanted to be involved in coaching. Um, I did that for a while, and it just kind of didn't pay the bills. And so mm -hmm. I ended up uh, working at a golf ball company and got involved in golf and really enjoyed playing golf and working for this company. Um, started my own company and did quite well and then um, got out of that and started a, a sports training business. And again, alcohol was just, it, was, it wasn't there very often. It was just, you know, recreationally, um, out mm -hmm. to dinner, that kind of thing, barbecuing and having a couple beers. Um, it wasn't until a lot later that that alcohol became a major player after my my wife got really sick mm -hmm. um, towards the end of her life. Yeah. And so those those many years. I mean, you have you have you have a kid. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Just one. I have a son. Yeah, born son. in two thousand and three. Okay. So life is going along just fine as far as you're concerned mm -hmm. with businesses and coaching. And this is, I mean, it's. Not, I don't want to say it's not often, but I mean, I hear a lot about people who don't get to do what they love to do. And yes. so I see this a lot in, um, and this is something to you, I've never been a sports fan. I've never been somebody who, um, sports was always something that, you know, I was, I was too smart for that. I was too, um, yeah. I was too, I I'm sure you run into these people a yeah. lot. These, you know, I was too, um, Educated, although I never, I never went to college. But in my mind, sports was for dummies and it was for jocks, right? Because yeah. I was a nerd, and so I was picked on, and so there was that division that 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 I never really, um, I had no respect for organized sports at all. And it wasn't until later in life, and in fact, in the last, you know, couple of years that I got sober, that I started to realize the importance of physical health. Yeah. Um, and I was grossly overweight for a long, long time. I still got a few more pounds to lose, but I started. You look great. <laughs> well, thank you. But I started running last year, and this is where it was like, oh, this is the importance of sports. Mm -hmm. This is the importance of physical activity. This is the importance of exercise. And like, the I now I now understand more when people at a young age get hooked on this stuff. And then want to do it because it's, it just it's it's exciting, it's exhilarating. Um, you know the the level of addicting, addicting. Yes, it the is. running can be addicting. Mm -hmm. It produces all those endorphins, and you just you know you don't like the actual running, but you love the results of it, right? Yes, yes. And then sometimes you get that runner's high while you're doing it, and I mean mm -hmm. you get lost in the run. You get. There's yeah, there's some stuff in there that's really good. Mm -hmm. It's pretty deep, but you know yeah. now there's like the Achilles heel tendonitis, <laughs> yeah. and there's all this other stuff that's happening. But the thing that that you know the point I wanted to make was that being able to do something around baseball, to to play it, to coach it, to 
to be to help other people to inspire you know young people it's it's I didn't I never realized the importance of that until you know even yeah. just in the last year or so. yeah you never were able to and so you to feel to, that yeah. yeah and so you but you got to do this on some level you've been doing this all of your life no question about it I've been involved mm -hmm. in sports um, coaching it playing it being around coaches I played for great coaches um, very well-known coaches um, was able to to kind of you know touch it taste it feel it I mean I got all of it and um, I was able to do the training the weightlifting the speed training with top people and was you know it hit my soul yeah and um, it's never left yeah oh. what do you think is the um, when you see you work with a lot of young athletes mm -hmm. you know, working at the university what is the number one thing that you see that gets in the way of people's training or accelerating or or, or improving their hmm. honing their craft what gets in the way of it you know I would uh, I, you know, I have probably have to say just more of their mental confidence their um, confidence yeah I would say that's probably a, one of the bigger factors that you know, uh, sometimes I, I teeter on, you know, obviously to play at this level, uh, there's a certain level of work ethic that's needed, practice and, you know, to stay in tune, to stay in rhythm, to have timing with hitting a baseball and throwing, that kind of stuff. And so practice is very important. And sometimes I, you know, wonder, do they, if they're not working hard, do they not know how to work hard? Or are they just lazy? Mm -hmm. I, I don't. You know, you can ask that question. I don't know if, you know, clear of an answer you'd get, but I don't know that. I was the type of kid that um, grew up practicing probably too much and would hit 100 baseballs before I went to school every day, would come home and hit hundreds after. I had a batting cage in my backyard. I was wow. doing those kinds of things. My expectations were really high that probably... Um, is a good thing for certain areas of life, running businesses and those kinds of things. But in other areas, there's huge letdowns. Mm -hmm. Like what? Well, I mean, like what? Well, just um, that you know, it's it's almost like the the expectations are are never reachable. They're mm -hmm. always increasing. Um, You're not satisfied with the results. Never yet. satisfied. Hardly ever satisfied. I took on swimming this year, and it, I can't get good enough at it. And I took it on just to be recreational. And then, you know, as a, a different form of, of physical fitness that I thought would be, okay, this would be something new and exciting. And next thing I know, I'm trying to swim a mile. I'm trying to swim a mile and a half. I'm... What is the... Um... What do you do? You, do you like the the team sports better now that, or that like swimming is more of a solitary thing? Is it not? I mean, they do have swim I, teams, but so I coach. You know, I'm an assistant coach for a team, but I prefer the the one on one. I prefer the the individual mm -hmm. sports. Yeah, and I prefer training alone. I go to the gym every single day, sometimes twice a day, and um, I prefer to train alone preferably without headphones on and just try to get in my own head and try to, yeah. 
I am definitely a headphones person. I've okay. always been a big Most music people guy. are, yeah. And so it, it just was like, oh, okay, I need a pair of headphones. So then I then I need my I need my cell phone, I need my music. And so then I've got to kind of figure out some way to like attach it yeah. to me that it's not flopping around. Sure. And I've been out a few times without headphones, but it's always this I'll put on this playlist and I'll put it on shuffle and then, you know, the fast song I'll run fast and the slow song I'll run oh, slow yeah, yeah. and kind of yeah. and play around with it, but um but yeah, it's it's such a um I find that the and I don't know if it's the same for baseball, but in running there's it's more about the mental than it is. It's definitely I've lost there's no question. playing a bunch of weight, huh? but like my mental state is the biggest part of it. That's why I want to get out there and do it and I get frustrated when I can't. Mm -hmm. That's the number one reason why I do it. That's the number one reason why I go to the gym. I don't, go, I mean, the physical is the icing on the cake. The mental is, is it. In fact, I, I try to make it harder on myself. I try to, instead of just swimming, taking on swimming, that I, I just can't go swimming at eight o'clock in the morning. I need to go at like five a lot of times to just make it harder and more, more rewarding that no one's there doing it. I'm there, you know, by myself and did you go swimming this morning of course i did <laughs> i was out with a with a knee injury and it's a slight knee injury when you're 50 you know what i mean right. and they're not big injuries and uh -huh. so uh i had to take some time off and i was kind of pushing it when it first got hurt i was like kind of pushing it and then i saw it wasn't getting better and actually there's some people here that uh that we're like, Greg, you just need to take some time off and let that ligament heal. It's not a muscle, it's a ligament. You gotta let it heal. So I did, and yesterday was the first day that they were like, you should go try to swim again. So I jumped right in and did it, and then went back today and, nice. and swam again. And I feel so much better. Right. I mean, not that I was in a lull, but there was something missing from my life. And I was still going and doing some lifting for upper body stuff, but getting in there and swimming and just having that, you know, get in, get it done. It's a similar, I find it to running, but swimming, you kind of have, it's a little more technical. There's arms and legs, you know, going and you, I can't get lost in it where I can get lost in running. Cause you can kind of turn it off once you get the rhythm going, right? You kind of turn it off and you can almost some, I, or at least I, for myself, I could get to a spot where I, I would look back and go like, Oh wow. I've actually ran the last like five or 10 minutes and I didn't really realize. You know, you kind of get that cadence going to where you get lost in it, I guess. Yeah. That's how I feel. Yeah, swimming is another thing. I, and it, it's difficult for me. I don't, I don't have the form down, so I'm kind of just flopping around in there. And, but I, I didn't have the form when I started running. So it took, it took me, yeah. it took me nine months to get this sort of like sure. really not great stride when I'm running and it's like, okay, well then see what happens in another nine months and yeah. spend more time with it, spend more time with it, spend more time with it. And, um, you know, you talk about the injuries and now everyone that I've talked to, the acupuncturist, the guy who yeah. does the body work, the, the physical therapist, and they're like, you need to get stronger, John. Okay, great. You've lost a lot of weight, but now you're just doing the same thing over and over and over. And oh. You have to lift weights. Like your arms need to be strong. Yeah. I've got squat phobia. I don't want to do squats in the Sure. Morning, Greg. So you're so you're getting those like repeat re, um, repeat injuries, like yes. because you're using the same muscles yes. too much and you're not strong in other areas, and yes. so they're all taking the burden. Yeah. So the guy who does my, I go down to Oakland and he'll he has this big machine and he like gets in there and he digs in my yeah. psoas and he does all this stuff and I feel amazing afterwards. And he said, John, 
I work on a lot of people. He's like, I work on yogis, I work on stuntmen, I work mm-hmm. on athletes. He said, the people who have the least amount of injuries and problems are the weightlifters. Because he said, no one ever says, oh, my back is too strong. And that's what he keeps telling me. He sure. says, you've got to strengthen your back, you've got to strengthen your glutes, you've got to go do squats, yeah. and I need you to lift a bunch of weights. And wow. then you will be a better runner because hmm. all your, the rest yeah. of your body will be strong. That, I mean, that makes sense. Because so, I've always kind of heard, too, that, like, wherever you're, you know, if you're doing, like, an over overall body workout, I mean, you're feeling the pain in the weakest link. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the one that's kind of calling out to be strengthened. Yeah. And so I try to do cardio, like, five to six days a week. I usually swim, and I was doing stairs and biking, and then three days a week I would do lifting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I overdid it. Yeah. I think I got to a point where I was getting, yeah, I was just wanting more. I was, it was after like 9-11 September, in September, mm-hmm. and I saw some firemen on these stairs, and I was like, what do you guys do? And they said, well, we'll do 101 flights of stairs. And I said, well, for what reason? And they said, because there was a fireman that went up into the towers 101 flights two times, and um, we do that on 9-11. So I was like, well... I'm gonna do that. I mean, you know, not that I have a, you know, so I jump on and do that, and then I was like, I'm gonna do that every day. So then I did. I added that on top of my swimming and my biking every day, and then I think it just my knee was like, you know, enough's enough. You know, time. We need to heal. Yeah, we we need to. Well, because you know, we went by the sports medicine area here too, and like healing's important. I mean, it's a pretty uh, the thing that I didn't realize too, and I just did my first half marathon, which was brutal. Um, I wouldn't suggest it to anybody after. I mean, I just started running last February or March. That's a pretty good task you took on there. It was. It hurts. W- when was this? Two November first, November second. And you're still reeling from it, or no? no you're, you're okay well, there's, now. There's some nerve issue here that needs to be addressed in the in the thigh. Wow, that's and like, but no. Good I mean, for you. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty hardcore. I bet. Um, but. Uh, but the thing that I've been reading about and listening to other people talk about is that the recovery time is really important. Yeah. Like, that's fine. You want to go run 13 miles in the desert? Like, do that. But understand that you can't, and especially at 43, I can't just hop out of bed and be ready to go the next day. I have mm-hmm. to, like, intentionally rest my body. Yeah. Massage, even just, like, self-massage and things sure. like that. And, you know, hot bath and whatever it is. Um, but, so that's something that I've learned. Just yeah, that comes year. along with taking on <laughs> sports or taking on physical fitness. There's no question about that. Um, yeah. So, so your baseball coach, and um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your wife and your mm-hmm. kid, your family. And so, you guys, you meet early on. Yeah, we actually uh, met right down the hallway here. Um, in the physical education department. Uh, We were both athletes. She played softball, I played baseball, and we both studied physical education. And so at the time we were both in the teaching um, emphasis of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. You got just hooked up immediately. We did. I like to kind of tell the story that (laughs) she would show up late to class and so I, I noticed her because it kind of irritated me. Not that I was academic by any means, but I was just like, who's this person that shows up 10 minutes in the class, you know, when everybody's sitting here? And then, um, like a couple months later, she gave a real 
touching speech in this class over here, history and philosophy of PE about her best friend that was uh, working at a round table pizza in Sacramento. He was attending Sacramento State and uh, somebody came in and robbed the place and shot the employees at gunpoint and he was murdered and she told the story that was obviously quite touching, quite impactful and uh, I thought how courageous of this person and who was I to to judge this person for showing up late. The fact that she was showing up was my mm -hmm. gut, you know. Um, so of course she she kind of made me mad for showing up late and she really, you know, made me cry at this speech. So I asked her out on a date and we went out. And um, unfortunately, not too long after, maybe about seven or nine months later, she was robbed at gunpoint. And uh, yeah, yes, crazy, uh, crazy time. And uh, yeah. Um, and so you guys get married? We do. We get married. Well, soon after that, she was having problems and ended up, uh, she was carrying an autoimmune disease called lupus. And um, mm -hmm. it's something you carry and it's usually revealed due to trauma. And um, most of us believe that due to that, you know, that robbery of her being held at gunpoint, that lupus, you know, started showing itself. She started having some problems and um, ended up in and out of, I don't want to say remission, but that, that uh, disease, you know, just kind of comes in flares, usually mm -hmm. stress-induced. And um, yeah, we went through like about six years and ended up uh, learning a lot about each other and been through, went through a lot of stuff and ended up getting married in 1998. Yeah. And so it's the, the emotional trauma that affects the, the, the physical condition. The, yeah, and I've, over the years being around her, I felt like the emotional stress and also sometimes I felt like um, even the physical stress or something, if she would go out and do something, you know, she was very active. She was in a PE teacher um, over in Sonoma. And so she was always, you know, trying to push herself physically. And um, I felt like it had some, yeah. had some effects on her too. Well, it's just, when you talk about the trauma and stuff like that and it's, it just all seems very all connected. Is yeah. what I've what I've learned in my life is that, oh, once I if something happens over here, it's going to affect things over yep. here, and not just in my ankle, my knee, you know, yes. my shoulder. It's you know things that are going on in my life and those those emotional moments and then things. So so. You do this for six years. It goes six on years. On. Yep. We get married in 1998. Things are good. Her um, her lupus is, you know, uh, she's being able to manage it quite well um, to the point that um, we were met with doctors and okay to uh, try and start a family. And uh, our son was born in 2003. Um, yeah, and soon. After that, um, she started having you know a lot more trouble. Um, she was actually considered you know to have uh, um, like a oh like a sensitive pregnancy, a high risk pregnancy, mm -hmm. and um, things went great. She was for like eight months. She was did fantastic, and we went in for a normal test, um, which we went in weekly for at that point and. 
Um, he was due on January 21st, and it was about three weeks early, and they said that her body was, you know, having some troubles, and so um, did an emergency C-section, and she took, it took a long time for her to recover. I can remember looking at a picture of her um, at a, from a party, um, it was probably our son's birthday party, and um, a year later, and she still looked kind of grayish, you know, like her body hadn't recovered from childbirth. And, so. and that took that took some time to get over. It took some time, yeah, for her to get over. You know, it just uh, and she did. She she recovered from that, um, but it was just uh, something I feel like uh, a lot of those things that happened to her, they just kind of kept scratching away at her. You know, mm -hmm. kind of knocking her down a little bit. So, but she did recover from that. Um, you know, from that childbirth, and um, a few years later, we were okay to try again, and she did carry a baby for five months, and unfortunately, we lost the, the child, so, and that was very traumatic. Sure. That was uh, 2007, and uh, yeah, she went, we both went through some hard times, and she went through some severely hard times, and... Um, uh, she, her immune system was quite, um, quite suppressed. I mean, she was taking some medication, um, she had levels of depression, um, and in February of 2008, she ended up breathing in a, a bacteria called rhodococcus um, and ended up in a medically induced coma um, that she was in for 29 days in Marin General. And uh, yeah, obviously a very, very difficult time. Our son was at preschool and um, yeah. And how are you dealing with all this at that point? At that point, I actually feel like I was dealing with it quite well. We were very fortunate. Her, her mom uh, came down and stayed with us and was able to take on a lot of the um, activities with our son and get him to preschool and pick him up. Um, I felt like it was, well, um, just something that I was able to take on and really it was obviously very dif difficult but at the time I, I was able to, to really jump in and be there every day and um, I didn't really realize what sort of problems it would have on me. I can remember when she was first put into that coma um, one of the like the hospital psychologists sat me down and talked to me and said you know you really need to kind of go about your life and you know if you go fishing with a buddy on on Saturdays or you play golf on Sundays you need to go do that like you need to to not be here all the time and um, I stayed there all the time pretty much I didn't stay the night there but I would stay there most of the day and you know just things you see in ICU aren't aren't the greatest things mm -hmm. um, at one point I remember thinking that I had seen or been around or um, you know, watched in other rooms like 17 people pass away. And, you know, that's probably pretty common in an ICU, I mean, uh, you know, for a 30-day period. And so, um, but the encouraging thing was is that my wife was, was young at that time. I believe she was 37. 
and her heart was good she was recovering I mean they were encouraged as time went on she was getting better and um, it was quite inspirational I mean the fact that she was improving and so she comes out she comes out of she coma? she comes out of it has to learn how to talk how to eat how to walk um, they basically shut down her entire body so that she her her immune system could get better um, I remember her walking like 10 to 12 steps and getting a standing ovation from everybody I mean it was awesome and I believe it was about 70 days in the ICU and then the step-down unit um, before she was able to to leave the hospital and um, she did awesome she recovered I almost had like a full recovery yeah and so she comes home and everything <clears throat> As far as you know is fine and yep she comes home everything is fine she has goals she's training we're going to the gym every day I had the sports training business at the time she would come to the gym with me and train um, I remember us you know starting by walking you know down the street and then we were walking blocks and then miles um, it was great it was family therapy we were all you know walking together and um, it was great and in fact uh, one of her goals was to get back to, to teaching and a year to that time of her leaving the hospital she went back to teaching and uh, as inspiring and as awesome as that was that same week our son was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease of type 1 diabetes and so we kind of got knocked down again um, but yeah and um and how was how he? He, at the time, was quite sick. Um, mm -hmm. He now is great. I mean, yeah. uh, type 1 diabetes has just become a, just a way of life. And, um, you know, checking blood sugars and counting carbs and, um, you know, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves and eating the right things. And so um, he's healthy and doing great. I mean, I've seen that. The managing of the treatment of that disease has just come so far to where I can look on my phone and see his blood sugar. He just started on an insulin pump a couple weeks ago. Um, at the time, it was quite crazy. Sure. I mean, just learning all that, both of us, my wife and I really didn't have much of a clue of what you know type 1 diabetes is and doing injections. and um, So that was a very difficult time. Yeah. And so she but, goes back to teaching discover this thing about your son this the diabetes and now you have this new I, I this new challenge that, that yeah. comes across that now you, you have to you have to figure it out have to figure it out and it was yeah very difficult very trying but I will say this is that the type 1 diabetes is very manageable mm -hmm. and my wife's lupus was very unmanageable it was very unpredictable it was uh, you know that time started to come around then that you know we I felt like most of the time we would wake up in the morning just not knowing what was gonna happen um, whether we were gonna you know end up at the hospital 911 or you know just what was gonna go on the pharmacy I mean we were at the pharmacy it seemed like you know every other day picking up medications and going to doctors um, she around 2009 and 10 um, she got really sick again uh, kidneys flared up 
Um, they made a decision to let her kidneys go to save her life, and so she ended up on dialysis. Um, and so, yeah, she started taking dialysis uh, three times a week, and then we started doing it at home. So she got trained to do it at home, and that was every single night at home. That was uh, major stuff. Yeah. Hauling bags in, UPS would show up, you know, bringing all kinds of stuff. It was crazy. Yeah. It just progressed into that, you know, you don't really realize all the stuff that you're taking on, you know? Until you're in the middle of it with something that is... I sometimes look back and I wonder, like, how we did all that, you know? Like, how we sterilized the room and hooked up all the, the bags to, you know, to basically detoxify her body, you know, of getting, um, removing all the toxins and it would run all night. She would do the peritoneal dialysis for eight hours and then in the morning we would unhook everything and haul it all out and drain everything and dispose of it. That's it was a lot of work. And on top of that, you know, our son being diabetic at that time, he was, you know, maybe six, seven years old and so that was, a, you know, another job of taking care of that man I mean that's it's huge yeah like I said I didn't and really realize it at the time of how how much it was because it just kind of kept progressing you know things just kept getting added to the plate um, you know I, I hate to even really say this but I can remember sometimes when she would go to the hospital it would be a little bit of a relief that she could do the dialysis there and you know they could manage her medications and I didn't have to go to the pharmacy and so we could just go down and stay with her and you know. Well, I, I mean, those are complicated emotions to deal with when you talk about feeling guilty for feeling relief and not being able to feel, feel the relief in whole. I didn't deal with anything remotely similar, but when my dad passed, and there was a lot of issues with that and dealing with that, and and um, but it's hard when we because we want to just breathe and take a moment, yeah. but when it's with somebody that you care about and love, and and they don't get a second to breathe, mm -hmm. you go well. Well, then I I I want to breathe for both of us, <laughs> you know. Yes. So. Um, and this this was this was a daily routine this is daily routine and as the years went on from you know like 2010 to 12 to 14 it just got getting worse more complications more trips to the hospital longer stays in the hospital i uh, it, to you know you just talked about you know, some of the guilt and some of the things that you hold on to and, you know, not a chance to breathe. Um, it was in 2015 that I did get a call um, from a doctor and, you know, saying that she had like six months to a year to live. And I kind of almost like, like it was almost like a letting go. It was almost like, yeah, like just like, 
I don't really know how to even put it into words, but um, it's just that I could breathe. Yeah. And it was then that I started drinking, like to the, you know, it was like um, this freedom to have a few drinks, to, um, to not have to worry about, you know, taking care of all the medicine or, I mean, I still did, but it almost like, I was just able to kind of like let go a little bit. And was that drinking heavy at first? Was it just a progression? Um, it was a progression. I mean, I don't know what heavy is for some people, well, or, it's, but it's it, I can remember just start, you know, having a few, couple drinks. I can remember um, just, you know, friends in the neighborhood. It was just um, more of a, more of kind of that recreational drinking that I was used to, but it was more often. It was, um, uh, I, I don't remember thinking about it, but I can remember just having more alcohol around, having more drinks. Um, I can remember thinking like, you know what, actually I, I, I shouldn't run across town. I, I've had a few drinks, like that wouldn't be smart. Um, and I remember thinking like, yeah, I'm not used to saying that. Uh, that's not something that, you know, if I needed to go to the pharmacy at 10 o'clock at night or something, I would just, I can remember running down to, to San Rafael and at 10 o'clock at night getting, you know, the, the medicine that my wife needed. And I can remember that happening more and more thinking I should not go over there and I would choose not to drive and, you know, um, and it progress, progressively got worse um, or progressively got drinking more and more. Um, I don't remember thinking that it was a problem because I can remember thinking like, oh, we have to go here, we have to go there, and not thinking about the alcohol. Like it just wasn't an issue. Being, a, you know, like it wasn't something that I had to have the alcohol. Um, yeah, it, it just, but I can remember my wife being in the hospital um, in the evenings. I would come home from the hospital and, um, you know, having a few drinks and then getting my son to bed and having a few more. And then I remember waking up thinking, well, what, why, why am I drinking more? Like, why, you know, why did I need a few more? Like, why didn't I just go to bed or, and I remember like, you know, just doing some writing and doing some things and enjoying um, doing those things. And I felt relaxed and, um, yeah, and having a few extra drinks. But I, I do remember starting to get kind of angry with life as my wife got worse and worse, like in the middle of the summer. I remember um, there was some bills that came in that um, I was questioning whether I owed that amount and you know whether that was sent to insurance. And I remember, things like that started affecting me quite heavily. Like, and I remember like, you know, I'm just gonna put that off till tomorrow. And, you know, I don't have a count on my drinks, but I remember drinking more and more, like thinking more and more, more bills would come in and I'd be like, you know, just, I'm gonna put that one aside too. I'll just handle that later, you know. And, you know, over a short period of time now when I look back on it, but it seemed like, you know, I was getting stuff and just, okay, that'll be tomorrow, that'll be, and then that turned into, you know, next week, and um, 
I think I was drinking a lot more than what I even realized. Yeah, the uh, we don't we just quit counting. And yeah, I wasn't count. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a count. But I do remember thinking, I can't believe how fast I'm like going through the those bottles. Like, did I really, you know, like wait a second? When did I drink all that? When, you know. So there was still just a, there was there was still some some self awareness. There was some self awareness. As deep as you had gotten. I, I was drinking a lot. When I look back on it now, I was drinking quite a bit, and I um, I was drinking a, a lot, and I. I remember thinking I wasn't going to drive. I made it clear. I remember, um, I mean, I can remember calling a friend of mine to go pick up some stuff and go, I mean, yeah, it just, I still had responsibility to take care of my son. And so, and my wife was still alive at that time. And um, so I don't remember, I wasn't drinking, definitely wasn't drinking all day. I would just come, you know, and it would just be in the evening times, but it was drinking more. Yeah, and this was this went on for months. months. I felt like I was, you know, you know, I'd wake up every day and just be like, you know, what? I feel like I had too many drinks. Like I'm drinking too much. I'll just not drink today, and then maybe I'd go a day without drinking, and the next day I'd be like, okay, well, I'll just have a few, and then that would turn into, you know, a few too many. It's such a it's such an insidious thing because we don't know and then yeah it comes in so many different ways and we think we're fine if we don't drink for a day yes you know, I've got it handled I've got yeah. it covered oh that was just yesterday and you talk about like putting the bills aside I am, was notorious for oh it's fine I don't need to deal with it'll deal with it on its own it'll it'll mm -hmm. take care of itself if I just put it aside it'll take care of itself I'll just ignore it I'll ignore it and you know ultimately to the point where I, I had the Oregon Department of Revenue find me from 2002 just recently, and I'm like, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah. They're they're like, you owe us 300 and some odd dollars, and I was like, wow. Okay. Well. Sure. Then here's the 300 dollars, and uh, I'm really sorry that. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I couldn't begin to tell you what that was about. Yeah. So what taxes wow. I didn't pay, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But just putting things off is is was. I was just notorious for that. Yep. And. Mm -hmm. Yep, and progressively my wife got wor worse. Um, yeah, and she passed away on October 25th, and um, yeah, I remember being quite aware for as aware as you aware as you could be for losing your wife, and I remember you know taking care of funeral arrangements and those kinds of things. I remember. Um, you know, it was just a very hard time. And once the funeral got over, I remember taking some time off and I just remember every day thinking, you know, I'm drinking more and this is getting more, this is getting too much. I need to stop. And then I would have days where I would cut back. I don't remember stopping for a whole day at this point now. Like it was like, you know, but I was drinking more, and uh, I remember getting through some of my wife's birthdays on November 26th, and it was right around Thanksgiving, um, and having Thanksgiving with my son, and I remember thinking, oh, well, Thanksgiving's a, you know, we're just gonna lay around the house, so, you know, I can start, I can have a few drinks early, and, you know, and I remember 
the next day thinking, I can't believe how much I drank yesterday. And I was not passed out anywhere, but I can remember just like, wow, holy cow, that's, that's a lot of alcohol that was consumed there. And um, it was, it was in like mid-December that I remember thinking, okay, I need to stop drinking. This has gotten out of hand. I wasn't paying any bills. Um, I couldn't give you a date, but the water had gotten shut off. The PG&E had gotten shut off, and I made those phone calls to get them turned back on. That wasn't a problem. The, the money factor wasn't a problem. It was the fact that I wasn't able to take care of things. Bill collectors were calling me every day. I had stacks of bills. It was, it was nuts. And... Um, I, you know, I can remember people coming to, you know, bringing it to my attention, like, are you doing okay? You know, you're, um, seem like you're, you know, remember my best friend calling me one time and just being like, hey, you know what, you need to, you know, hang off on the, uh, hold off on the beers a little bit. And I was like, okay. Like, and I remember thinking, okay, I need to do that. I need to cut back. I really need to get a hold of this. But I remember it being really hard to do. I remember thinking, I'm trying to not drink, and I'm not finding any success. I couldn't stop. Like, it was very, it wasn't working. What I was doing just was not working at all. And what, and what were you doing? I mean, you're, you, you say you would try to stop, you would cut back. I would try to cut back, and then by, I was to trying control. to control it and cut back on the drinking, and so... But I just found myself like earlier in the daytime. I was off of work now, and um, it was you know getting close to the holidays. Like I said, it was like mid December, and I can just remember thinking, okay, well, uh, I'm just gonna you know cut back, and I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna have a couple drinks, say between like seven and ten, and then I would just be fighting myself like kind of all day, and it was became really difficult. And um, to make it to seven. To make it to seven. Yeah. Yeah. It was like four o'clock and I was like wanting to drink, you know, it was just, yeah. And I would drink later. So it was like lasting, you know what I mean? And it would be like, I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't stop. So I was depressed, obviously, from my wife passing away. Everything was overwhelming. It wasn't just bills. It was sympathy cards and Christmas cards were coming in. It was a very, very crazy time. Do you, was, was there like a, you know, a lot of people talk about, a rock bottom or yeah. the moment of clarity or I like to think of it as a, like a, a pivot point yeah was there was there was there, there was. a specific pivot point there was I was uh, I had a really good two really good friends of mine would come over and pick my son and I up in the morning and we'd take my son to school because I didn't drive and um, one morning I got my son to school and dropped off back at my house, my home, and um, there was a knock back on the door like five minutes later, and uh, I opened the door and just sat back down on the couch, and this guy walked in, and he said, uh, you know, hey, Greg, you're not doing good. Like, you, you need some help, I think, and I was like, you know, if you came over here to, like, motivate me, just, you know, just get the hell out. Like, I don't, I don't need, you know, anybody to tell me what to do, and He's like, no, I'm just really concerned. You've lost a lot of weight. I don't think you're eating. I think you're drinking too much. And um, 
He's all like, I remember him saying like these bills here, like you're just stacking them up. Like, why don't we take care of some of these bills? Like, why don't we tackle some of this stuff? Like, you know, you're not, what, what are you, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm trying to survive and I'm not doing a really good job at it. And I can remember him just saying like, you know, I'm really sorry that, that Leslie passed away. I'm really sorry that Tyler's not going to have a mom. I'm really sorry about that. And I can't bring her back, but you got to start trying harder, Greg. Like you need either need some help, you need to let people help you, you need to do something because you're you're going nowhere quick right now. And um, I can remember him, you know, asking me because he had, he had gone through some hard times in his life, and I had been there for him. And he said, "You remember, you know, showing up to the hospital after I had you know gone through some really difficult times." And I said, "I I do." And he's like, "Well, you gave me this." this envelope where you gave me this uh, this quote and I just want to give it back to you and maybe it'll make you think a little bit and he gave me this envelope and I opened it up and there was this quote that I had left for him when he was in the hospital and it said that life pays the price that you ask of it if you ask more of yourself then life will pay the rewards and I can just remember like like it all kind of hitting me like oh my gosh like what you know what am I doing I remember getting angry and just kind of you know, holding it all in, and um, I remember him just saying, I'm gonna come back, you know, tomorrow when I have more time, and I have to get to work, and he did, he left, I remember getting really pissed, and I like grabbed the envelope and slammed it, it crunched in my hand and slammed it against my head, it like cut my head, and I ended up, you know, walking into the bathroom and um, looking in the mirror, and my face had blood all over it, I was, you know, 35 pounds heavier. I mean, I just, I looked like I was the most unhealthiest person in the world. I mean, there was like dust all over the mirror. The bathroom was dirty. You know, it was just, it just was like, oh my gosh. Like it's, I had that little moment of like, what? You're not doing anything to your life. Like this is not working at all. I remember just thinking, my gosh, I remember coming out of the bathroom with like a towel on my, you know, on my head and. I just remember looking at everything like I haven't done anything for my life like it's not going good at all like this is this needs to change now I mean I remember there was a shredder there I remember shredding all the bills I just took them all and I just shredded them I remember moving the the sympathy cards to a box put them on the table like I remember like actually doing something like I actually took some action mm -hmm. and that day I remember making it through the day um, can't remember if I didn't drink or not, but I remember making it through the day with some sort of clarity mm -hmm. and calling my two best friends and telling them that I had a drinking problem. I said, I, I need your help. I need you to, to come over, please, and, and help me. And I need help with my bills. I just, I'm, I've been trying and I can't do it. And, um, you know, thankfully they helped me, they didn't judge me. They were just like, it's okay. We've been like keeping an eye on you, and you're you're doing just fine, Greg. Like it's gonna be okay. We're gonna we're gonna be able to do this. And they came over, and um, one lady helped me a ton. I remember making a list of people to call. To I just wanted to call some people and just let them know, like I I have a drinking problem, and I you know just kind of I guess looking for some support and looking for like. Just being truthful 
Yeah. Like, I guess I was tired of, like, hiding it or thinking I was hiding it. Yes, you, exactly. you know what yes, I mean? I do, I do. <laughs> I'm sure everybody's like, what the hell's happened to Craig? He's drinking like... Everybody already knew long before before I did Yeah, I was an alcoholic, you know, yeah. I had a problem. Yeah. And so I actually just think I, it was just me being honest. Luckily, I was wired that way to to get that out there. And I remember just what a relief it was. When I called my friends, I remember just like, oh... And I just remember I, I, I remember after calling them like like ha- having another drink, but it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. It was almost like, oh my gosh, like this is a relief. Like it wasn't there, I guess there was less numbing. Mm-hmm. There was it was like, okay, like that, that's almost like a step one of okay, I'm, I'm coming back, you know like, I still wasn't able to quit fully. I remember, um, I remember taking a cab to an AA meeting. Mm-hmm. I remember walking in and thinking these people are all messed up. Like this is not me. Like I, I do not belong here. But since the cab drove, dropped me off, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna sit down. And you know, I can't even remember the process. I don't remember being drunk off my ass. I could have been, but I remember I was intoxicated. And I remember when people started talking and speaking them reading, you know, the yeah. promises and whatever. I was like, hold on, actually that sounds like me and that lady, I've actually done that many times. I'm like, wow, I think I might be better at that than you are. And, you know, I wasn't like, I remember, you know, thinking, okay, I wasn't like, my whole life wasn't based on hiding everything. Mm-hmm. But then again, it was just, at that point, it was just my son and I, so it was just, Oh, so I put a jacket over my bottle or something, you know what I mean, in the garage or something. So it wasn't like I had to go to these huge extents and I didn't have any responsibility because I wasn't working at the time Mm -hmm. because we were off during that time. And so, um, but that AA meeting, I remember just thinking like, okay, you know what, that, that helped. That was, that was okay there. That was those people I could relate to them. And I remember thinking that's, you know, that was a good place. But that, but was you... What, I mean, what program do you use today? I mean, how do you, I mean, what is your, because uh, you, you. I do not, you do yeah, not. I actually went to an AA meeting last week. They asked me to come speak. Oh, okay. And so I went and spoke and it was great. It, I had so much fun and I felt so much connection. I actually went back last night and attended that same AA meeting just to be a part of it was great. That's awesome. It was, it was really cool. And I went back and thanked them. They were like, no, thank you for speaking. I was like, no, 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 you have no idea. Like it inspired me more. Like I, I felt at home here and I appreciate what you guys are doing and what you're trying to do. Um, I get asked this all the time when I speak about what do I do? What did I do what to get program? Yeah. to get sober? And what do I do to stay sober? And AA helped. I did not go through the steps and I um, went to many meetings, but I didn't attend regularly. I, uh, the biggest motivations, our son, mm-hmm. without question. That is the, the number one thing. Um, probably second on my list is that um, I need to live my life as full as I possibly can and I can't do it without, with alcohol. I can only do it without alcohol and I have to do that for my wife that I get a chance to do this and she doesn't and so it's full steam ahead and and I don't focus on you know 
the alcohol, I focus on what I can do without, you know, without it. I can't get up at 4 a.m. I can't get in the swimming pool like I do. I can't train like I do. I can't do all the things that I want to do if I'm drinking every evening or if I'm drinking during the day or if I'm even having a drink. It, it's to a point where I don't really think about it anymore. And I haven't really analyzed it too much. I just know that I got things to do and I don't want to be slowed down. I hear that. Wow. That's, I mean, I, I just love that you have this relationship with AA, but that mm -hmm. you don't, you, you would not consider yourself a member, um, in the traditional sense. Sure. But I think that, you know, one of the, and I, I don't, I'm not here to promote it at all, but I just think it's great. And, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I wanted to, you know, to talk to you is because you have this unique perspective on sobriety. And yeah. this different way of doing it, and so and I know there's there's some people who think, well, there's only one way to do it, and this is the way you got to do it. If you don't do it this way, mm -hmm. you're gonna, you know, you're gonna die. And yeah. I, I don't, I don't personally feel that way. I know that I had to do it a certain way, and that it was good for me, and that mm -hmm. if I had tried to do it a different way, I don't think it would have stuck. But I always love to hear somebody else's story, and especially when it's. When the, although there's a lot of similarities in the way that we yeah. drank, not in the way that we got sober. Yeah, and you know, the, the one thing that yeah. got me really bad was that uh, I was scared when I, it scared me that I couldn't stop drinking. Mm -hmm. It scared me a lot that I didn't have control over. I think I felt like I had control over it for a while and be like, okay, well I can have, you know, like there was some sort of control factor and when I couldn't stop, it was, it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I tried to stop too fast. I actually had a seizure. Um, I actually fell down the stairs and I had a seizure and my sister was there and that just really scared the crap. I'm like, what? this is not gonna go down this way. My life is not going out this way. There is nothing worth this. I mean, I need to be here for my son. I need to, uh, I, I need to take care of myself. What about what about now? Like, what is how is life now today? <laughs> I have the greatest life of anybody you've ever met. I, uh, yeah, I really do. I, I, I'm almost blown away. I, sometimes I feel like I'm almost um, uh, just. It, it's like it's very relaxing. I used to take uh, blood pressure medicine, and I used to have really bad anxiety, and I would take Xanax and. I don't take any blood pressure medicine. Like I said, I lost 35 pounds. Um, I go to the gym once or twice a day. Um, I have a great job. Um, yeah, things are really good. I really, really miss my wife not being here, and I really miss my son not having his mom. And the other night we were putting on Christmas tree ornaments, and it was, it was very difficult. And. Um, but it's also something that I try to embrace the fact that I, I can't change that. All I can do is, you know, not necessarily live for her, but but like living with honor of it that I get to do this and that um, take advantage of all the time that I possibly have, especially with my son, but just for my own life. And that, you know, the decisions that I make are going to be to make me stronger. And there's no alcohol or drugs involved in being stronger. I uh, can only look forward and ahead. And um, one of the things that's helped 
a lot in building strength is going out and speaking about it and being straight up with people and be like, this is exactly what I did. This is what I, you know, and you can judge me for it or you cannot. But if it helps five people in this room, then I'm all for it. And if you got questions for me and they ask me questions, it's like, you, I'll tell you exactly what happened to me. And, and, you know, it's not a pretty scene. And not a lot of people, you know, um, probably want to hear it all, but it's the truth. And if it does help some people, then great. Well, Greg, thank you for, thank you for sharing today. Thank You're you for welcome. talking with me. Like, I know that we don't know each other very well mm -hmm. and that we met in some very transient circumstances yeah. but uh, you know thank you for thank you for i really appreciate it thank you for having me mm -hmm. i appreciate it. good conversation my friend thanks again for listening our music as always is by neglect you can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com and you can find us on all social media platforms that matter instagram facebook and twitter and you can reach us at a is for alcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah.